0: The good, the bad, and the ugly of target date retirement funds. That's what we're discussing today with Tom Idzorek, CFA, at CFA Institute's 2012 Wealth Management Conference in Miami. Tom is Global Chief Investment Officer at Morningstar Investment Management, and I'm Steve Horan, Head of Private Wealth at CFA Institute. Tom, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. So, uh, before we get to the bad and the ugly, tell us about some of the important redeeming qualities of target date retirement funds.
1: Well, I guess I'm not so sure that there's that much that's bad and that much that's ugly. I guess overall, I'd say, you know, we are you know big fans of target date funds and think, by and large, they are a great thing for defined contribution um, investors. You know, so if you think about you know, the typical problem faced by a DC investor. They have a lineup of funds, and they have to go be an expert, if you will, in selecting the various funds and determining what their asset allocation should look like and how much to give to each one of those funds in order to get to their asset allocation. With a target date fund, it's going to have a professional asset allocation glide path that is going to evolve over that person's uh, time frame and, and arguably somebody has uh, selected the very best funds that they can in order to implement that target date glide path with so in general for for the standard uh, dc participant out there a target date fund um, is going to be very helpful may not be the best thing per se mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, certainly better than it, it's a it's an improvement upon what most people are doing uh, on their own
0: that's excellent it, but it seems like we might be introducing some uh, benchmarking challenges I know you've done some research on what the glide paths look like for a lot of these TDRFs and uh, when we think about benchmarks we sort of think about a static asset allocation if we've got some sort of blended right. benchmark um, what kind of challenges does that introduce
1: well uh, I guess because there's all sorts of challenges when it comes to, you know, benchmarking target date funds. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure when the first target date fund benchmark actually came about. But if we went back, say, you know, 10 years ago, there were target date funds, but there weren't any specific target date fund benchmarks. You know, since then, now we've got, you know, in- uh, benchmarks from S&P, from Dow Jones, and of course the company I work for, for, for Morningstar. Um, so there are at least benchmarks now. Um, one of the challenges is that, you know, in a kind of a single asset class or beta world, at some level, you know, the world has agreed that kind of a market cap weighted approach is, you know, the de facto definition of good, if you will. So we, but when it comes to creating a target date benchmark, you know, there's a lot of uh, subjective decision making that goes into what does that benchmark actually look like. And I suspect that most people that are trying to benchmark a target date fund don't necessarily agree that the target date benchmark itself is good. Um, You know, if you think about, you know, what is a target date, you know, fund like? It has this this glide path that is somewhat analogous to uh, the glide path that, let's say, a financial planner would create for a given individual. Um, You know, now how do we decide? if a financial planner is, you know, good or bad. It's really more about is the appropriateness of that glide path that the financial planner is creating for a given individual appropriate. And likewise in the target date space, you know, what we're really, you know, we believe is most important is is that glide path, and there's a lot of variation in the various glide paths, is that glide path appropriate for a given individual.
0: So, what kind of approach do you ultimately recommend to get at that appropriateness of of the benchmark?
1: Um, Well, I mean, maybe, you know, stepping back before we get into the benchmarking issue, you know, what would be an appropriate glide path for a given individual? Um, You know, some glide paths are more aggressive and some are more conservative. And again, based on an individual's risk preference and let's say capacity for risk, that may decide whether they should be in a more aggressive glide path or a more conservative glide path. Now, from a benchmarking standpoint, you know, one of the challenges is that if you were to plot the two glide paths of a target date fund family and a benchmark fund family, what you would often see is that they actually have different glide paths. And you know, one has to question, is it appropriate to benchmark a fund against something else that is, simply has different risk characteristics. And so kind of step one of trying to overcome that benchmarking challenge, we would argue that one would actually want to beta adjust the benchmark. So in other words, we would create a custom mixture of the benchmark and a a cash series to reflect the overall risk characteristics of that fund. So hopefully we're comparing the fund in question against a more reasonable benchmark.
0: That, that makes a lot of sense And, and you referenced earlier that uh, glide paths change over time and you've developed something called a glide path stability score. Could you give us a sense of uh, you know what that really is and, and how much glide paths do tend to change over time?
1: Well, so one of the things you know because we work for Morningstar, we're collecting data on all of the various retail mutual funds that are out there. And one of the things that we did was after a kind of accounting for age, we've plotted the different glide paths or a glide path, from a given, you know, fund provider at each point in time or in our case on an annual basis. And one of the things that we were shocked to see is in expectation we were thinking that year in and year out after adjusting for age, that glide path should arguably be very stable unless that the manufacturer of that product is, is practicing some sort of tactical asset allocation overlay on top of it. And what we saw is we kind of did a deeper dive on the three largest fund families. So there's uh, Fidelity which is the largest and then we also have Vanguard and T. Rowe Price. Um, the Fidelity glide path on a year over year basis has changed substantially. And our glide path stability score is simply looking at what is the absolute year-over-year change in that glide path at each of the different points along that glide path. And what we can see here is that the fidelity glide path, you know, almost looks as if it was a little bit out of control. Where in contrast, if you look at the Vanguard glide path, it's actually had two separate regimes. Um, you know, there was a point in which it became far more aggressive about five years ago. But within each of those regimes, it's very clear that that glide path has been very stable. So the switch in regimes causes the, for Vanguard, for them to have somewhat of an elevated glide path stability score. But if you just look at the last three years in which they've been in a single regime, there's been almost no year-over-year changes. The implication for an investor would be as if you're trying to say, this is the asset allocation uh, schedule or glide path that I hope to be on for the rest of my life and you're trying to forecast what is my expected wealth at retirement if that glide path is shifting a lot Really, that's creating another uh, variable, if you will, that's not accounted for in your simulation and perhaps adding noise to what your predicted future wealth might be.
0: And and getting back to the benchmarking issue, I can't imagine that makes it any easier to benchmark the performance.
1: No, again, the benchmarking of a target date fund is extremely difficult. Um, We've written two new papers that I think are going to help the industry with this problem to, uh, to some degree. So the first paper is really selecting a target date benchmark. So, we, you know, assume that the standard pro- uh, problem, if you will, faced by investor, an investor is that they've actually already selected a target date fund, rightly or wrongly. And the challenge they need to do now is to select the most appropriate of the existing target date fund benchmark series that are out there. And we introduce three quantitative scores that are basically measures of goodness of fit that would help somebody choose which one of those available target date benchmarks actually is most appropriate for benchmarking a given target date fund. Then in our second paper, using a target date date benchmark, we really get into the numerous difficulties and challenges that one faces in terms of trying to dissect, if you will, the performance of a target date fund. You know, determining, you know, what portion of their outperformance or underperformance is due, let's say, to asset allocation, what part is due to the alphas of the sub-managers that make up that, you know, what is typically a fund of funds, and what portion is due to fees.
0: Yeah, so it sounds like uh, some modifications on our standard attribution analysis.
1: Right. It is certainly um, an an extreme expansion of of traditional attribution analysis. Well,
0: Tom, thanks for joining us and talking about glide paths and benchmarkings.
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: And thank you. To browse our catalog of other multimedia products, visit us on the web at cfawebcasts.org.